Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey there. Welcome back to part four of a six-part series on attachment. So far, we've explored the basics of attachment, then secure attachment, and then insecure, anxious attachment. If you haven't already, you are definitely going to want to go back and listen to those episodes. Today, we are going to be looking at insecure avoidant attachment. I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who've experienced trauma and their families. 
I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology and a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention of getting free accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll even get lucky enough to hear a cockadoodle do in the background. If you love this podcast, add Parenting After Trauma to wherever you're listening to podcasts and share with your friends and colleagues. Be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you, including a free 45-minute masterclass on the three questions we should ask ourselves when faced with challenging behavior in our kids. Is this child regulated? Is this child connected? Is this child feeling safe? You can grab that at robingobel.com slash masterclass. And then while you're on my website, be sure to poke around, discover all the other free resources available. There's a lot. And then of course, check out the club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Earlier this month, I released a brand new feature in the club, all of the club content. So all the masterclasses, the Q and A's, the guest presenters, everything that happens in the club on live video now has the audio of that video uploaded into a private podcast just for club members. So this means that club members don't have to log into the club platform on their browser to be able to watch and rewatch all those videos which unfortunately is just kind of clunky, especially on mobile devices. Now it all goes into a private podcast feed that is right in their Apple podcast or Google podcast player, like their normal podcast app, exactly like this podcast is, except for it's a private feed that's just for them. So it means that all the audio can be accessed anywhere, everywhere without a separate login and and also will run in the background on their phone or their mobile device so that their browser doesn't have to stay open exactly like this podcast. My response to this new feature has been exactly what I'd hoped for and anticipated. Club members are thrilled. The increased ease of access means more opportunities for connection and co-regulation. That means more opportunities for the brain to become more integrated. And that means feeling better and parenting more the way that they want to. The club opens for new members approximately every three months. And if you're listening to this podcast when it airs in June, 2021, the club is reopening at the end of this month. So snag a spot on the waiting list and you'll be the first to know when it opens. If you listened to yesterday's episode on insecure, anxious attachment, tell me what's it been like to marinate on the idea that insecure attachment isn't bad or wrong. The way that our minds adapt to not getting our attachment needs met, right? To be seen or soothed, safe and secure, like doctors Siegel and Bryson talk about in their books, the way our minds adapt to not getting those needs met is nothing short of amazing. It also, unfortunately, isn't without cost. So can we allow both of those things to be true? That there's nothing wrong with insecure attachment. It's brilliant. But at the same time, the protectors that we develop in order to survive when we aren't getting our attachment needs met means hiding away our real true selves. And yes, unfortunately, this 
comes with a cost. So it can be true that there's nothing wrong with the parts of us that hold insecure attachment while also being true that we want to find new ways of being in relationship so that our real true selves can emerge. Let's review a few of my non-negotiables when exploring insecure attachment. One, attachment, as you may remember from the basics of attachment, is about both physical and emotional survival. Physical. Two, babies first need their caregivers to be present and regulated in order to simply just keep them alive. And three, but babies also need their caregivers to be present and regulated so that the baby can become themselves. Okay, so also remember from the basics of attachment where it talks about how attachment has these two complementary forces, connection and autonomy. Babies who develop insecure avoidant attachment struggle more with the connection side. As babies need co-regulation to organize their feelings or to like refill their connection cup, caregivers with avoidant attachment tend to get overwhelmed. Though they tend not to notice that they're getting overwhelmed because the neurobiology of avoidant attachment often leads to a lack of noticing. When the caregiver with avoidant attachment gets overwhelmed, they unintentionally are sending nonverbal cues to their baby that their baby's needs are too much for them. The baby figures this out quickly. And because the primary concern in keeping their caregiver regulated, their primary concern is keeping their caregiver regulated, right? So that they can experience being seen, secured, soothed, and safe as much as possible. The baby learns how to ignore and down-regulate the connection side of their attachment needs. So again, let me remind you, insecurely attached caregivers, insecurely avoidantly attached caregivers, specifically what we're talking about right now, they're not doing something bad or wrong. They're, they have their own brilliant attachment adaptations. They're doing the very, very, very best that they can and doing exactly what their neurobiology has helped them to do to get their own needs met and stay as safe as possible in relationship. So this is a no shame, no blame podcast. Everything about me is no shame, no blame, right? So as we're holding this truth, especially if there's any part of you that's resonating that like maybe you yourself as a caregiver fall more into like the anxious avoidant category, see if you can try to just notice that as a truth, as opposed to something to be judged or to feel ashamed of. So as babies grow, then they become obviously toddlers and preschoolers who appear to have limited connection needs. Whereas the insecure, anxious babies had a lot of connection needs and a really hard time getting those connection needs met. Insecure, avoided babies appear. And again, the, the keyword here is appear to have limited connection needs. They appear independent and maybe cool, calm, and collected, right? They also may demonstrate limitations in empathy, cooperation, and creating close emotional connection with others. It's really important to remember that these babies do have attachment needs. They have the same attachment needs as everyone else. 
They appear to have fewer attachment needs. They ask for their attachment needs to get met less often. That's their adaptation. If I was going to make a Venn diagram of insecure avoidant attachment, and if you head over to my blog, you can see what this Venn diagram looks like, but a Venn diagram of insecure avoidant attachment where one circle is you and one circle is me, and these circles barely overlap. So in insecure anxious attachment, these two circles overlapped almost completely, right? So the we space, the overlap of the you and the me in insecure anxious attachment is huge. There's very, very little you without me. In insecure avoidant attachment, the opposite is true. Now there's very, very, very little we space. The two circles overlap hardly at all. So the you and the me exist very separate from each other without creating much of a like resonant, alive, embodied we space. Parents and caregivers with their own neurobiology of insecure avoidant attachment have a hard time being emotionally and energetically present with their babies, especially when their babies need them. Now, again, no shame, no blame. This is their own brilliant adaptation, right? Oh, and also this reminds me, a quick note here again about adult attachment. We talked about it in the anxious episode as well, but adults with avoidant attachment are actually labeled in attachment research as dismissive. But in this episode, we're sticking with the same terminology here when I'm talking about adults or babies, simply just to kind of decrease confusion with a topic that's already honestly confusing enough. Okay, so also it's important to remember that research indicates that babies mirror their caregiver state of mind with regard to attachment approximately 85% of the time. Y'all, that's a huge percent. Also remember that research indicates babies mirror their caregiver state of mind with regards to attachment approximately 85% of the time. Y'all, that's a huge percentage. So we are going with the assumption here that babies with avoidant attachment mostly had caregivers who also would be classified as having avoidant attachment. In avoidant attachment, these parents and caregivers learned themselves a very, very, very young age, that feelings felt bad. They didn't get the co-regulation that they needed when they were really small. And in fact, they learned that turning to their caregiver with the expectation of co-regulation caused their caregiver often to do the opposite. Their caregiver would emotionally retreat, maybe while offering the physical care that the baby needed, like, like a bottle or getting fed or having a diaper change without a lot of like embodied, resonant, emotional presence and and co-regulation. Avoidant attachment, though, falls into the organized categories of attachment. So we know that these babies developed an organized, predictable way of coping with their caregiver's difficulty in being present and providing co-regulation. Their organized strategy of coping means that they stopped asking for their emotional needs to get met. They stopped expressing emotional needs. They often stop even realizing that they had them. Though again, let me emphasize, they do have them. We all have them. It's just that we stop realizing that we even have them. And babies with avoidant attachment learn then to be very autonomous. On the outside looking in, these babies and kids may look like they actually have exceptional self-regulation, but it's really just an illusion. This attachment adaptation involves down-regulating their attachment needs and figuring out how to soothe themselves. 
Unfortunately, though, it's not real soothing because real soothing, real, the neurobiology of soothing comes only first from co-regulation. Babies and kids who are categorized as having insecure avoidant attachment are sometimes described as being really mature and independent. They often aren't very emotionally reactive until they are. And then it tends to be in like an explosion of rage. Remember, of course, that the primary goal of these attachment adaptations is for the baby to keep their caregiver regulated enough that they can get as much being safe and seen and soothed and secured as possible. The strategy of insecure avoidance is to keep their caregivers regulated by not turning toward them for emotional support, connection, or co-regulation. These babies have a hard time feeling their caregivers as a safe haven, as a place that they can flee to when they're overwhelmed and need their feelings organized. They look like babies who don't have a lot of needs, but again, this is just an illusion. They have a lot of needs because y'all, humans have a lot of needs, especially emotionally. This is not something to be embarrassed of or ashamed of. This is what makes us human. And babies especially have a lot of needs, especially emotionally, right? We now know that these babies do truly still have these needs. They have the distress that typically prompts a baby to cry or ask for their needs to get met. These babies, however, don't notice these needs. They're not feeling, they're not tuned into the feelings and sensations of distress. And so they don't know that the distress exists. It's almost like the highway of information and sensation from the body to the brain has a traffic jam. These babies and kids miscue their caregivers into believing that they have very few emotional needs. Miscuing is a language the language of uh, circle of security, where I have learned so much about attachment. I think Miss Q is a really lovely way to look at this. But let's remind ourselves it's just a miscue. We know that they actually do have a lot of emotional needs because, well, they're human and a baby. And humans and especially babies have lots of emotional needs. This is great that they do. So maybe you're thinking, because a lot of people do in learning about insecure avoidant attachment is like, well, so what's, what's kind of the problem here? Like what's the cost that goes along with insecure avoidant attachment? Because I've described things like mature and independent and can, you know, kind of take care of their own emotional needs, which in Western culture, we really highly value right? But the thing is, y'all, that having emotional needs and experiences is just about the most glorious part of being human. If we spend a lot of energy trying to dissociate or ignore that reality, we lose some of our ability to be relationally connected with others. Insecure avoidant attachment leads to a decrease in empathy. It's hard enough to make a mental map of their own experiences in emotional world, let alone make a map of somebody else's experiences in emotional world and then care about it, right? Cutting off the felt sense of having needs because it's too painful to have needs and have them go unmet is brilliant. But again, just like an anxious attachment, it isn't without costs. 
So once again, can we hold these two seemingly conflicting truths in mind at once? The attachment adaptations are both brilliant and have a cost. Attachment adaptations are brilliant and they're stable, but they also can change. Remember how in Insecure Anxious Attachment, we talked about the conflict between hope and expectation. So there's always, always, always the hope that somebody will finally see our true selves. There's always the hope and insecure avoidant attachment that somebody will finally see our needs as valid and worthy and, and as not too much and not too overwhelming. There's always the hope that someone will want to be with us in times of distress, that someone loves and adores those parts of us too, not just the often high-performing, I have no need part, right? We all want all of our parts to be loved and adored. Simultaneously though, with insecure anxious with insecure attachment, whether it be anxious or, or today when we're talking about avoidant, we also are holding the hope with the expectation that our needs will not get met. And we're very, very likely to behave in ways that match our expectation. And then we evoke from others exactly what we expect, but not what we hope, that our needs aren't going to be seen and that they don't matter. And we're expected to just make it through emotional life all on our own. So again, let's just gently remember that it's very, very normal. When we learn about attachment for our own pockets of that part of attachment to become alive and stir, we start to feel these experiences of attachment in our own neurobiology. Because again, we've all all had experiences of insecure attachment, even if we primarily had secure attachment experiences and caregivers with a secure state of mind. But none of us ever experienced perfect attunement and co-regulation. None of us experienced being seen, soothed, safe, and secure 100% of the time. So we all have in our implicit memory stored in our bodies, all of the different streams of attachment. So I'm wondering if you're noticing that as you're listening to this podcast, that it feels just a little bit different than listening to the anxiously attached podcast. Maybe it even feels a little bit boring or flat. Oftentimes, again, just learning about avoidant attachment can lead to a decrease in our own resonance, even a little bit of emptiness feeling because the neurobiology of avoidant attachment is a little bit of emptiness or nothingness. My mentor, Bonnie Badenoch, and remember you're staying tuned for a podcast interview with Bonnie at the end of the month, describes that felt sense of avoidant attachment as an emotional desert. Again, y'all remember this is such a brilliant adaptation. I'm going to end this podcast the same way I ended the podcast on anxious attachment. Like Literally, I'm going to say the same words. Attachment is quite stable throughout our lives unless we are lucky enough to get into close attachment, close relationship with someone who is able to offer us experiences of secure attachment. Or if we are lucky enough to become aware of our attachment expectations and then start to put in the hard work to shift them. So while attachment is quite stable, it is also quite malleable and changeable. There is always hope, y'all. I promise. I hope you'll be back next week when we explore disorganized attachment. When the six-part series is done at the end of next week, because we're also going to explore 
how attachment shifts and changes. So don't worry at all. We're going to end the series with hope. I am going to have a really special surprise waiting for you. So if you haven't already hit subscribe to this podcast, make sure you do that now. Thank you for taking the time to connect with me today and for caring for kids impacted by trauma. I am so, so, so grateful for you. If you are new here, after you hit subscribe on the podcast, head over to robingobel.com slash masterclass, where you can watch a free three-part video series on what behavior really is and how to change it. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. I mean, the sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world, a season for who they really are. Completely amazing, sometimes struggling. Thanks for tuning in today, and I will see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief, like, Yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, 
download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.